morning, everybody. Good morning. It says greeting on my paper. I have to give you a greeting right now because that's important to start off. When people come into my office in the morning and they, they just they jump right into what they need, I cut them off. I'm like, say good morning to me first. Come on, man. Don't just jump right into your problems. But then I got to fix their problems anyway. Is it wrong for me to, to make them to, to wait? I think I have time for them. They should have time for me. Maybe, maybe not. I could be wrong. Could be wrong. Yeah. Um, we're going to be talking through Psalm uh, 91 this morning. And, and reading it was, it was a challenge for me because there's, there's, there's some deep things in here, deep understanding in here. And it, it's important for us to, to take our time when we, when we parse through it. Um, and I got to admit a, a great lacking in my knowledge this morning. I have um, just anecdotally only recently been told that what we're going to read together has been referred to as the soldier's psalm. And I like, was taken aback a bit. I've been in the guard for about uh, 15 years, and it was Shane Klein two, uh, two weeks ago um, when I was telling him that, hey, I'm going to preach on, on this psalm. He's like, ah, the soldier's psalm. And I just stared at him. Like, I think I, I talked with you, Paul, about this. I was like, oh. And I left it at that because I didn't, I'd never heard that before. Never heard that before. I thought it was odd. And so I, I started to look into it. And I found that while, while there is some hearsay to it, the modern idea of it being called a soldier's psalm, it comes from World War I and a brigade that read this psalm at their commander's direction every single day. Uh, and because of this, um, other people, other groups started to call them the 91st. And even though they were largely inexperienced, the 91st Brigade, uh, while engaged in three of the bloodiest battles of World War I, the Chateau Tyranny, uh, Bellawood, and the Argonne, um, while other American units similarly engaged had up to 90% casualties, that's a loss, a personal, a personal loss, it is said that the 91st Brigade did not suffer a single casualty, which is incredible. It's quite a story, and it's comforting to think on. Like, these people read this thing that I can read every day, and they were protected by it? Now, there are a variety of opinions and even some hardline interpretations people have come up with when reading the psalm as a sort of uh, award or a good luck verse. I mean, how can a person hear about the 91st Brigade and not come to that conclusion? Some claim that if you read this psalm daily with enough zeal and earnestness, no harm will come to you. But is that scriptural? Is that how promises work? It seems straightforward, and what we're going to read together, it makes really big, bold claims. I've also read it's conveniently called the 911 verse, like the, the call in case of emergency verse that you bust it out whenever you need to. Um, I want you to remember these things when we're, when we're walking through the first line of Psalm 91. Um, we're going to spend most of the time talking through this verse on several points, and then we're going to go through the rest kind of section by section. Um, this psalm is a messianic psalm. It points to Christ, the, the Messiah. The Jews had their Messiah. That's, we know that it's Christ. And this psalm points to him in some really profound ways. And so, if you have a Bible, would you please join me in Psalm 91? My page is 824, if you, if you have the same Bible as me. But I don't. I don't if you do. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's called Safety and Abiding in the Presence of God. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord 
He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his wings and under his, uh, his feathers and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. Because you have been made the Lord, you, because you have made the Lord who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. No evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. And their hands shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent. You shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high, because he has known my name. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So would you pray with me, please? Father, we want to ask for wisdom and discernment when it comes to reading your word. Help us, Father, to have open hearts and open ears. Give us understanding as we long for it. Help us to read your words and be edified by them and to take them out of here, carry them on our minds and in our hearts, out into the world so that we can call upon them when we need. Thank you, Father, the gift that your word is. And this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first line, the first verse. He who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. If I dwell in my proper place, if I remain there, I will be covered. And I will not need to worry, for I am sitting. I am safe. To start in the first verse, he says, um, the beginning is also translated whomever. So it's he who dwells. So it's also translated whomever, or they. And those that are covered by Christ, the saint of the disciple of Christ. But listen to this when we read the verse. If you want to flip, I can and give you time to Jude. One, five through seven. You want to read along or just follow with me, please? This is starting in verse five. But I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting change under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. So there's a contrast given here, and I'm not going to discuss the difference in temporal punishment for angels versus that of humans while we're still here on earth inside of time, temporal, but know that the eternal place is reserved for those who do not remain in their proper abode, just as Jude 1 verse 7 concludes. He calls it eternal fire. But why start so dark in a verse that's supposed to be about safety? I know there's, the passage is, is about that. The whole thing covers it in that big, bold promise. But I think that, like Christ, we warn while we teach. 
Um, there's a consequence for not remaining in Christ, and that is the result uh, of a life that is unfixed on Christ. It's a heavy hit right away, but this thing, this, this concept, this eternal fire, it, it twisted in my heart when I read it, like, lost eternally. I think people that suffer the most in life, even, even ones that have seen it firsthand, the depravity that is in others and in themselves can think they have a grasp on what it is like to suffer. Well, we don't. We don't get it. We're given these words, eternal fire. But I want you, you to rest on that. Let it stick. That there is a consequence for not being where you ought to be. Another warning to thinking this verse is... Uh, a spell or a repetitious chant to keep away evil. Uh, the first sentence, again, it dwells. I'm going to posit that this means something practical, the disciple of Christ, when we dwell. How are you dwelling with God? Are we spending time with your Father? Do you know him? Call his name. Um, kind of lighter. <laughs> Bridget uh, calls me a ruiner. Uh, I ruin holidays and movies, mostly like Disney ones, and I don't mean to be a downer about pointing out how, like, oh, that's, that's a little wrong, Christmas and Easter, those things, and bring up things that I don't mean to have them ruin them, but now I mean to. I do mean to. We all see the light that we get when we read the Bible, but sometimes it doesn't stick. We need to feel the heat and understand the consequence of living a life that's not focused on him. We want our heads to turn away from the disaster and the ruin of a life lived for self and not for him and to be properly focused. And so it starts, the first line and what we've covered, it starts with something dark, but that's where Christ finds us, each of us. We have hope in and trust on a bold promise given by our Father in heaven. Bold likes this entire psalm. I believe it. Do you believe it? Having some grasp on what awaits a person that does not choose Christ, we can move on. So nestled in this first doctrinal statement is something quite wonderful. Something that did not jump out to me until I'd really dove into the psalm in preparation for today. Um, what does secret mean? Other translations have shelter. Some seemed vague and, and, and metaphorical. Some truly heavy-hitting big-name Christians that I read. I'm not going to go through the list. But they, they all take this in a variety of ways. I wasn't sure until I was really convicted listening to a pastor that I've never heard before. His name's Ken Legg. I'm pretty sure he's Australian. He sounded really cool to listen to. Um, he taught on a New Testament link to this verse, and after hearing it, I was so, like I said, convicted. I don't know how I even missed it. It's, it's just stuck with me. The secret place, the shelter, hide things, covering things, keeping things hidden, safe. Hidden from what? Hidden from what? So listen to this. This is Colossians 3, 1 through 4. Therefore, you have been raised up with Christ. Keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. It's like I'd never seen that the word hidden was there along with Jesus' name, that he is the Christ, and we're hidden with him. We're hidden with our Savior. He is the shadow of the Most High. But how do we come to understand it? Like all things that we come to understand with Scripture, 
We've got to make this connection and uh, work through it. We're brought to understanding. Someone brings us there because we can't just read this on our own and think that we're going to get it. Just one chapter before in Colossians, this is two, verses two through three, that in their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from full assurance of understanding, resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Understanding is hidden with the Most High. That's Christ. That's where we find it. It was him all alone, then and now. Outside of Christ, we have no understanding. Outside of our proper abode, we have nothing but our own will, our own rationale, our own plans. Do as thou wilt. As someone has said, it gets us nothing. Outside of Christ, we're exposed and uncovered, subject to the full intensity, the full weight, heat, and pain, and suffering of every situation, of every second of our day. The shadow of our Lord means that he is over what is happening, sovereign at all times, while he covers us. And when in Christ, the secret place, there's something else we are given. This is 2 Timothy 1, verses 7. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, of love, and of self-control. I got that all the first line. It's a wonderful first line, isn't it? So we can move on to the rest. Verses 2. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. The my statements are what I really love here. And, and, and Jake humored me for today. He's going to do um, probably my favorite song. I've never even heard of it until Jake brought it up. The In Tenderness. The, who, who sings it, Jake? Citizens sings in tenderness. And there's a, there's a line in, uh, in tenderness is, I found thee, thou art mine. That possessive, <laughs> I just, it's so wonderful. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God, in whom I will trust. I found thee, thou art mine. It's bold, isn't it? Verse three, surely he deliver, shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. Fowlers uh, in the Old Testament um, were individuals that would go out and with great skill and care and, and time would trap birds because you couldn't just pull out a rifle and, and, and put them down and like hunters do today. Um, the birds were completely oblivious. The fowlers would set up a trap and they'd wander in and you know, the people pulling the stick with the box and it falls on them. I don't, I've never done that. Maybe you can try it. My kids could do it. If you had two boys, Joanna, you can do that. Um, but like that bird, we're unaware of the wiles of our deceiver and the plots and schemes of men against us. All this protective language that this psalm possesses, it's not in vain. We do have an enemy, and despite what is said in the media uh, currently, then and in the future probably, our primary enemy is not our fellow human beings. Our enemy, our enemies, are demons, powers and principalities of darkness in this world. And that serpent of old, Satan, don't forget that. I do find some coincidence or providence in the verses are using an all-too-familiar example right now to describe an unconfrontable foe of the old world, something that we can confront today, a virus, uh, a sickness, this pestilence that is talked about. It compares. This verse and the ones to follow lay out the earthly foes that we can see and combat and comprehend with ones that we cannot see. They call it pestilence in that first line. We'll see more here in a second. We feel the attacks of these things. 
pestilences. Sometimes for people that are sick, with every single breath they take, they feel the effects of these attacks. And yet we see firsthand the global impact of a virus. The truth of the scripture is upheld. It's not a contradiction. We will not let the currency of our circumstances undo the confidence that we can have in his word. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. His truth shall be your shield and buckler. A lot of the, the preachers that I had listened to leading up to today made that, uh, did you know God had feathers? And it's like the church jokes, things. Yeah. But Jesus said, concerning his own feathers, in Matthew, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together. As a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. And a Tim Keller commentary I once heard when he was talking about his astonishment uh, to the claims, or to the, his, the astonishment at Jesus' reply to the 72 when they had come back. They were, the 72 were amazed that demons submitted to their authority. This is in Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 18. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning. And the response is, what, what? What, what do you mean you saw him fall like, like, like you were there? Like, that's odd to hear from a person right in front of you. You saw that fall like lightning from heaven. I felt the same way when I read the, I wanted to gather. How often I wanted to gather your children together. Like, what do you mean how often you, the people would have looked at him? Like you were there, you were the one sending prophets to Jerusalem. You were the one that was giving out these instructions. And even the buckler here in the next line is a, a belt. Um, and the way it talks about it then, sometimes people think buckler is like a shield, a big buckler. It even looks forward to a pretty great set of verses in Ephesians 6, 13 through 17. It's a partial quote from these. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth. It's a buckler. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Verses 5. You shall not be afraid of the terror by night, nor of the arrow that flies by day, nor of the perilous pestilence that walks in darkness, nor of the destruction that lays waste at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with your eyes shall you look and see the reward of the wicked. All that back and forth, the day and night, it's at all times, an all-encompassing destruction. It it's, surrounds the person, surrounds the believer. The Holy Spirit is really driving a point home here. It's like the Exodus story. You can get mentioned in Jude, that first verse, Jude 1. There's plagues, disasters, near misses, um, but everyone that was in Christ was covered, that, the blood on the, what is it, lint, lintel? lintel? There's all kinds of dangers in the world. There were dangers then, there are dangers now, there'll be dangers later. But we don't fear like Timothy we don't fear. That's not the spirit that we have. We're close, a razor's edge away. And we know all that. And don't forget that Satan roams freely about right now. God has given for a time him to be present. There are things in the world that we you know, are worried about. Satan's going to use even God's verses, his words, to deceive us distorts the truth. The great deceiver, because we know that the best lies are half-truths based on a single facet of a more complex truth. 
So verse 9. Because you have made the Lord, who is my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over you and keep you in all your ways. In their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. If you go way forward to Matthew chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, it says, Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on a pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, in verse 7, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Satan, he knew the scriptures. He knew the Old Testament. He knew this psalm. Satan saw the bold and clear protections in this verse. He knew that it would happen. Jesus could have thrown himself off and angels would have picked him up. Just a little bit later in Matthew, you read that when Satan departs, angels come and minister to him. They were there the whole time. But Satan seeks to corrupt, to deceive and twist the declaration of safety and to test God, to turn it into a mockery. Jesus heard his turn of phrase and being tired, hungry, hot, tempted. He resisted and in his absolute righteousness saw through the deception in an instant and used the word of God to rebuke Satan. Verse 13. You shall tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you shall trample underfoot. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he has known my name. This is God talking. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. The entire thing when you read Psalm 91, it's not hyperbole. It seems like it's big language. When people were used to big language in the media right now, it's poetry and it's a prayer. 30 times, 30 verses in the New Testament state that the Christian will suffer. How then can I read this psalm and then read the other verses and not conclude that this is just some giant contradiction? Oh, it's just the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's, there's a confusion. We don't need to worry about how they're linked together, but we do, and we can see a coherent answer. It could be low-hanging fruit, but you guys ever seen The Simpsons? You have... Uh, Ned Flanders is always, you know, God like literally, visibly is shielding him. They're helping him. And I always thought that was kind of ridiculous. It's funny because the Simpsons, you know, predicts the future. Um, but I think after reading this, those scenes with Ned Flanders were a little more honest than they were funny. But to make this link, we need some serious help. And this help comes from the Spirit. We can't understand it without his help. Like we read, with our eyes, we will see, but it won't come near you. How many times have you had a, a close, close call, like in a car accident? I asked Bridget if I could share just a, a, a little thing about, she got into a car accident a couple of years ago, a really bad one. When I went to pick up the car, uh, the guy was, was shocked to hear that anyone had survived. The thing was destroyed. Um, she was pregnant at the time, and there were two kids in the back, and they walked away almost without a scratch. You can get the full story from Ask Bridget or Ask Me sometime if you didn't know that. She walked away from it. I was out of town. It was, it was bad. And I thought about that reading this. At first glance, we're like, yeah, she's not safe. She got into a car accident. 
Like, no. She walked away from it without a scratch. Have you ever been sick, but, but not too sick? Or known a, a friend or a grandparent, even now, that gets sick? But they come out of it. Lost a job or been close to the edge of maybe your own sanity? Suffering with something internally, struggling with it. But you know there's a promise. We're kept safe from real loss. Can you walk back over the last several months and identify any times? Can you count them when, when things were going so wrong, isolated and at home, away from your family and friends? But it worked out just a little above the average fare. Disciples of Christ will suffer for the sake of the gospel. In fact, it is one way that we are assured of our right placement with God. It says this in Hebrews 12, uh, verse 6. And I pray that each of you will suffer well for Christ's sake, that his glory and mercy will be shown through you and your circumstance. But even during our days that hurt the most, if you look up, you will see a father that is above you, overshadowing you. He has placed you in secret, kept you safe in the perfect hiding place. His son, Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me, please? Father, like before, we ask that you help us to understand these verses, to draw the lines, taught the connections that you help us to make and can show us through your word. Help us to learn them and to leave here with them, written in our hearts and our minds, so that we can be emboldened to speak them to the people around us when we suffer for your sake and the world sees how we live in you. I pray this in your holy name. Amen.